0: light introductions or comedy good is when they tell the stories that are real. And while we kind of look up there and laugh at the idea that the girl comes just to share with other friends what's going on in everybody's life, and the guitar solo is more important than what's going on with spiritual development, and the deacon's meeting is of utmost importance over other issues. If we're not careful in what we're doing here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, what can happen is we can develop all of this stuff, and it's nothing but the biggest show on earth. That song kind of hit me hard. I Hate All Your Show. It's a song that I really, frankly, wasn't aware of until two or three weeks ago when we began to talk about this service, and somebody mentioned that song in the creative meeting. I wasn't in, but... They came to me and talked to me about it, and I saw the video today, and the truth is the reason that it hits so hard is because if I'm not careful, then everything in my life I can do and operate outside of a real relationship with Jesus Christ, and everything I do here I can do outside of a real relationship with Jesus Christ, and the truth is no matter what we do, no matter how good it is, if we do anything outside of of the presence and the purpose of Jesus Christ, then we are putting on a show. Isaiah chapter 1 is an interesting chapter in Scripture because it's the first thing Isaiah writes. I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? Isaiah 1 would be the first thing. And God, through Isaiah, comes right out of the gate and tells them some things they don't want to hear. And as I've read this over the last few days, the the last couple of weeks, really trying to let this passage of Scripture and the ideas behind Isaiah and thinking through it, God has just kind of knocked me to the ground a little bit. So let's read it together, and we'll kind of comment as we go, and then we'll talk about a couple of things. It just tells us at the beginning that the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem, Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. We're not going to do a history of Israel there, of the kings. But just understand this. Judah and Jerusalem were, for the most part, the good place for God to be worshipped. Judah and Jerusalem, at this time, the kingdom of Israel had divided into two, and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Jews are, Jerusalem, when you put Jerusalem and Judah together, they don't go good. Jerusalem and Judah were considered the faithful ones, the good ones, the religious ones. Verse 2 says this, Hear, O nations, listen on earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey is owner's manager. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And the truth is, what he's saying there is: Listen, Israel, I have brought you out of bondage. I have taken you out of Egypt. I have brought you to a great land. I've brought you to things that you couldn't imagine. I have given you everything you have, and yet you are completely ungrateful. You didn't remember who I was. You didn't remember what I did. All you knew is that. I brought you and you forgot. I mean, he compares them to children who forget that their parents have given them everything. He compares them to an ox or a donkey who doesn't remember his master. Verse 4. Sinful nation, people loaded with guilt, brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and they've turned their backs on him. Now, we're going to skip a little bit in here, but just understand that he continues just to lay it down, that this happened, this, this is what you've done, you've turned away from me. He even compares them over in verse 9. He says, unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom, we would have become like Gomorrah. Now, that tells us about the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not that they would have been as bad as them. Now, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? destroyed right why was it destroyed because they were so sinful and living against god's plan and so he says listen if it wasn't that he had left a small portion in here we would have already been destroyed and then god calls them the rulers of sodom and the law of our god you people of gomorrah verse 10 And so when you read that, my first thought is, you know what, these people, it says they've turned away from God. That must mean they're not doing what God commanded them to do. In the Old Testament, if you uh, remember what the Scripture teaches, in the Old Testament, people had to do sacrifices. They had to bring sacrifices, they had to bring them to the temple or to the tabernacle, and they presented the sacrifice, and God would recognize their sacrifice and forgive their sins. And it was a very ritualistic religion. And so the first thing you think is they've stopped doing all that. They've quit the sacrifices. They've quit the worship. They've quit the festivals. They've quit all that stuff. And they're just doing their own thing. But that's not the case. It says this in verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat, of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Those of you that are reading through the Bible... It's strange to read this coming out of what we read in Leviticus, where that's what seems to be happening all the time. Verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, new moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes. Even if you offer any prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. So here's the picture. The people are still doing all the religious things they're supposed to do. They're coming, they're making the sacrifices, they're coming to the temple, they're singing the songs, they're doing all that stuff, and God says, I hate it. It would be like God saying to us today in a letter or in a written statement, I hate your worship services. Your 11 o'clock worship service is detestable in my sight. I hate it. Away with it. Don't do it anymore. You're getting together and do Bible study? Quit. The songs that you're singing, I'm putting my hands in my ears so I don't hear them. It's literally a picture of God covering His ears to not hear us sing. Now, that's not because we're bad singers, or at least most of us. It's because our worship means nothing. I was sitting here just a minute ago, and I was just thinking about this worship service today. And I was thinking about how God has blessed us in so many ways to be able to get up here and, and and for Jeff to lead us in an excellent manner and for the band to play in an excellent way and for Wendy to sing a solo with excellence. And yet I couldn't help but think that sometimes those kind of things, if we're not careful, become the very barriers that keep us from worshiping God. They become the very things that keep us from encountering Him. The Bible says here that God looks at them and says, I hate what you're doing. Now, I mean, if we think we've got a pretty good festival going on, if we think we've got a pretty good worship service happening, you can't imagine what it was like in ancient Israel. With thousands of people gathered, with the priests standing up there, going through all of the things, singing psalms from the psalms in loud voices, shouting, cymbals, instruments, trumpets, thousands of people going. Ritualistic, if you will. And God says, I hate it. I was reading uh, some information this week about ministers and what they believe and that kind of thing, and I came across a minister that that said this. He said, this is a guy that pastors a church. He says, for many, many years, I lived my life as a practical atheist. I believed, I preached, I ministered, but everything I did was based on my needs or my job or my career. He said, I was doing all of this ministry stuff, and yet Jesus wasn't even my friend, and He really wasn't even an acquaintance. I just lived my life for me. This idea of doing all the right religious things and yet not being connected to God is throughout the Scriptures. It's not just the Old Testament. It's not just here in the Old Testament. I mean, there's a place in Isaiah 58 where it's pretty hard on this. There are places throughout the prophets where God says, Quit bringing it to me. David would say in the Psalms, I know you don't want uh, my sacrifices. That's not what you desire. This whole idea of that. Just doing the stuff isn't enough. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus comes, and who is the group that he fights with the most? Pharisees, right? He's most critical of the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees were considered the most religious people in their day. And yet he looks at them and says, you're a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but your heart is shriveled. When you get to Revelation, the first church in those list of churches that he talks to is Ephesus. And he says, you're doing all the right things. You're keeping out the wrong doctrine. You're taking care of people. You're doing everything. I know your deeds. I know them well. And you're doing a great job. But I have this against you. Apparently they were doing them without a connection to Christ. It says you've left your first love. And as I think about this, I just ask myself the question, is that where we find ourselves even in this room today? I mean, the question I want to ask you and I want you to think about is, why? Why are you here? Is it just part of the routine? It's Sunday morning, you wake up, and because we've gone to the later schedule, you get to sleep in a little later, and you like that, and so you come to Sunday school or you don't. It's just part of what you do. It doesn't matter how many times you have to scream at the kids or scream at each other to get in the car and get there. You get there and you kind of settle in there and you go to Sunday school and you do the Sunday school thing and you shake the hands and you say hello and you do the prayer request and you listen to a Bible study because that's what you're going to do. It doesn't matter if you've been yelling when you're in the car. When you get in the parking lot, something magical happens and the good face comes on and it's I'm fine and everybody's good, good to see you, nice to meet you, everything's good. And then you get out of Sunday school and you come down here and you stand out in the hallway until Jeff starts playing because that's what you do. Y'all know it's amazing, isn't it? With 11 o'clock hits, we got music playing in here when nobody's in here. First line, Jeff sings, all of a sudden it's like it fills, all right? But you're out there and you're doing, you come in and you sing the songs or you don't sing the songs. You look at the words, you listen to the preacher, act like you're taking notes because that's what you're supposed to do. You look at of sometimes you're listening, sometimes you're not. You're You shake the hand of the person next to you Good to see you, love you, glad you're here You do all of that The time comes at the end You do the invitation, you sing the song You look, I sure hope somebody goes down this morning That would be great if somebody go down And then you just leave No change Every week Same thing Sometimes you don't like it Because you come and we sing a song you don't know Or we sing one of those old hymns And that's only supposed to be in the 830 service It's not supposed to be in the 11 o'clock service We've got a contemporary service for a reason, Pastor, all right? And things kind of get messed up occasionally, or somebody says something to you, and you're not real sure what they meant by it, and so you leave here a little frustrated or a little mad. But nothing really ever changes. Because the truth is, you can do all that without any kind of relationship with Jesus. The problem is that sometimes, and Isaiah seems to suggest this, the very things that we think are helping us to connect with God can become the things that keep us distant from him I was reading this week about the uh, it's about air purifiers you know they have those um, ionic air purifiers you know what I'm talking about my just somebody raise your hand let me know you know okay you know uh, sharper image used to make them they're the ones that stand up and they're tall and slender and they ionic and you know they always look like they're always the most expensive air purifier so they got to be the best right I mean that's just the way it works and so I read this week about it and the the process of the ion purifier. anybody got one of those by the way? A couple of you okay? So I, that's what happens when I ask those kind of questions. The hands kind of go like this because like what's he about to say? I don't know if I want to. The way it works is, and we'll get a little scientific for a minute. It ionizes whatever that means, the air and the particles in the air, and so um, stuff that can cause allergies or any of that sucked into the purifier. Okay. Well, what they discovered about two years ago that apparently hasn't been really put out there much yet is that in the process of ionizing the air, it's releasing ozone. Now, for most of us, that sounds all right. I mean, we need more ozone, right? That's what all the climate change people tell us. We need more ozone in the atmosphere. So maybe we put those ionizers up in the air, and it helps. Well, here's the problem. Ozone in the atmosphere is good. Ozone in your bedroom is not. And what they discovered is that these ionic, the title of the article was, Isn't It Ionic? Some of you get that at lunch, all right? The ion process, ionization process, was creating smog in the rooms that they were. And they said the smog level is to the point that if it was a city, it would be a level two smog alert. And you say, what in the world does that have to do with anything except tell me to throw away my ionic purifier? Here's the thing. The purifier is supposed to purify the ear, and yet it is polluting it. And the truth is, when we come and think that the things of church are going to make us closer to God, and yet no, we're not actively seeking a personal relationship with God, the things of church can easily keep us distant from God. And so the thing that we really need is we need to examine ourselves. Somebody said this, said that a religion can be like anything else in life. Sports, science, even stamps. It can be something that people love, and people can love it without any relation to God. Isaiah looks at the people of Israel and he says, You have become like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You have become people that you come into my house and you worship instead of being pleasant in my hearing has become detestable. Now I just would ask you today if you would examine your own life, some things that can cause that kind of foul smell in God's nostrils from our worship, things like unconfessed sin. Things that you do that you keep going on and on in your life and you come in week after week and you know the burden and the guilt of that sin is on your heart and yet you just keep walking in day after day after day, going through all the motions. Things like conflict that's present in your family or in your church. Things like human traditions that become more important than actually seeking God. You know, usually when I say something about traditions, most most of us think, well, that's old stuff, old stuff that we do. But the truth is, traditions are basically anything you've done three or four times the same way. I mean, there are some things that even though we haven't done them long, if we were to change them around here, people would be upset. If I came in today and said, we're not doing this service anymore this way, well, why not? Well, it's it's what we do here. We ought to be doing that. It's That's just who we are. That's what we do. It's a tradition of this church. But when we make traditions more important than the relationship, then it's out of balance. When we come in and we have emotions without substance. When I was kind of in the uh, major spiritual change time in my life, I was saved when I was nine. And when I was about 20 years old, God really did a work in my heart and my life and began to change some things that I was thinking. And one of the big things that happened in there is that uh, I went to a conference And at that conference for the first time in my life, I felt freedom to express my worship in raising my hands, in physical acts of worship. I felt freedom there for the first time. You know, what was interesting is, in that moment, I really felt like the best way for me to express what was happening in my heart and my connection with God was through physically worshiping. Raising my hands, doing those kind of things. There was a point where I knelt, all of that. And I came back. And we started doing our regular Wednesday night college worship service that I was starting to help lead. I was speaking. And I remember that I didn't have that, that, that emotional response right away. And I realized that part of the reason I didn't was because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't seeking the Lord like I should. But there was part of me that thought, but I need to raise my hands anyways because that's what I do now. And I found myself sometimes worshiping and raising my hands and looking excited and all of that just because that's what I was supposed to do instead of coming from my heart as an overflow of my worship. Now, at the same time, there have been many times in my life where I've had the substance of that emotion and I felt the Lord moving in my life, and yet I was a little stiff. Anybody here ever been a little stiff in worship? Not able to move a little bit? You're all part of a Baptist church, or most of you are. You have been, all right? Most of you are right now, but that's okay. And I wouldn't let it out. Well, that's pretentious. It's saying that I am better than this emotion that's within me. When whenever you come and you worship for your own benefit and not for somebody else's, whenever your worship, and this is the big one, whenever your worship, whenever your service, whenever your Bible study, whenever your discipleship, whenever any of that does not lead to action, then you are are not living as God's called you to live. Look at what it says in verse 16. This is right after, and this is a vivid picture. He says, literally, as you raise your hands to me, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Israelites raised their hands a lot. And as you raise your hands to me, there is blood flowing on them. He says in verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Well, how do we do that, God? Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. The truth is the fatherless and the widow were the most helpless people in their society. And he was saying, help them all that you can. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If 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 you are willing and obedient you eat the best from the land but if you resist and rebel you will be devoured by the sword i just ask you a simple question today as we get ready to close are you living your life connected to christ or are you doing everything that you're doing without his help Let me ask it this way. When was the last time you made a decision that made absolutely no sense in human terms? None. But you knew it was a decision that God wanted you to make. When was the last time? And I'm not saying that God didn't give us a brain to figure some things out, but I think sometimes we use that as an excuse. We use that as a crutch not to trust Him and follow Him. When was the last time you, despite what all of the things say around you, trusted the Lord and went away from popular opinion or what you thought everyone else would do? Because God called you to do it. When was the last time you came into worship and you left this place having encountered God? Now let me just tell you something. Our responsibility as staff, and my responsibility as your pastor, Jeff's responsibility as a worship leader, is not to make you encounter God. That is up to you. When was the last time you entered into this place and you encountered the living God and walked out of here changed? I would just say this to you. If you can consistently come and sing and worship and listen and fellowship and minister, And yet your life looks the same as it did 10 years ago, two years ago, that I'm afraid we're guilty of making it a show.